It's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's <laughs> looking at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Why don't you give us a cheers and get this podcast kicked off for us? Yeah, it, was, it is the middle of summer there's been a lot of news but nothing uh more more meta type stuff on the college football playoff and uh, a little cheers to our players out there hopefully making some dough now with the name (laughs) image and likeness now uh up and running virginia never actually got past uh which was kind of funny and what ended up happening was july 1st rolled around and the ncaa basically just threw their hands up in the air and told all the schools, figure it out yourself. Yeah. And here we are. So with that, name, image, and likeness became uh, on the board for everybody. So get that uh, get that sponsorship. Get that sp- the seller, get some uh, PK sponsorship, Sharkies, do what you got to <laughs> yeah. do. There's a medical marijuana plant around there, and you might be able to get a sponsorship for there. That might, that might violate some academic stuff uh, with the school, but go get paid. That's right. Cheers. Yeah, the NCAA totally punted on that. They basically left all regulation for just the market to figure out, which I don't necessarily have a problem with, but I th- I forget who I was listening to, but they could have spent the last few months instead of fighting this to try to like get some rules in place, and they just did not do it. And now it's just the Wild West, and you've got players some players at the bigger football schools making a ton of money you've got players taking barstool money you got players taking you know zaxby's chicken money like it's all this this crazy stuff going on but uh i'm hoping for our players sake that they do get some sponsorships and that our coaches and our staff really lean into nil because i do think it's going to be huge i think it was miami that partnered with the ufc and now they're trying to to use the UFC relationship to funnel money to their players potentially. Uh, we'll just see. But it, for right now, everything is kind of going crazy, and I'm sure it will reach a status quo at some point here. Well, yeah, and you say the last couple months, the O'Bannon case I think started in 2009 <laughs> is when they filed it. So, and I don't think it finally got you know total resolution through the Supreme Court. I think in 2016. So let's just say 2016. Since 2000, they've had more than five years, I think at this point, a little less than five years to get this figured out, not just a couple months. And then when it was really starting to heat up was almost a year and a half ago when they already should have seen the tea leaves and been preparing for this. And then they started working in earnest on what they were going to put out three weeks ahead of the deadline. And obviously could not get it done mm-hmm. in a three-week time frame. So the NCAA, once again, proves their incompetence. It's lovely watching them repeatedly fall on their face. And they're the most hated organization um, you know, that everybody uh, from a political standpoint can get behind uh, a hatred for the NCAA. It's so true. And in big-time college football, like, do we need the NCAA? Like, I think about this all the time. Like, NCAA runs March Madness, and they run a lot of the other – tournaments in you know lacrosse or volleyball or baseball or whatever They're, they have a hand in those things but like for big time college football like they don't really do the bowls like that's all by third party and they don't run the conference schedules and that kind of thing so i just don't really like what do you do here exactly yeah <laughs> collect a lot of money that's what they do and there's a lot of chatter most people think that this could be a huge step for 
towards the uh, the 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 power five or maybe the power six if you let the AC, AAC in, eventually just breaking off from the NCAA yeah. and just saying we don't we don't need you. We can do this better ourselves. Whether they can or not, that remains to be I'm seen. I'm sure that they could. They can't do worse. <laughs> that's exactly. Im- that's impossible. Uh, well, you know what? I realized that what I was talking about earlier was from some of Coach Fu's interview on TSL. He's the one that was talking about how the NCAA could have put some some you know rules in place for this and with regard to the NIL, and he talked about that. And I listened to that entire interview. He just went on the TSL podcast, Tech Sideline, and he had some interesting things to say. A lot of it was just the, the boilerplate stuff you'll get from a head coach, but he did talk about essentially having no fall camp last year. He talked about voting on whether to go to the bowl game or not. And ultimately, you know, it wasn't a unanimous decision, but they voted on to not go to the bowl. And then he also talked about some position changes. So I thought that the uh, the interview was worthwhile and it was cool that TSL, you know, got it and he came to the came into the studio, especially the day after we had Coach and Wit and some others in Richmond for the big hockey club event. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think there's been uh, the pressure is mounting to kind of get out there and, and make a little bit more of a presence and be a little bit, you know, more personable and to have allow a little bit more access to the program. We'll see how that, that shakes out. There's been efforts and it seems to ebb and flow depending mm-hmm. on the temperature of the program and, and what's going on. And I think like with, the, like the couple of weeks that Fu was on Twitter during COVID and then yes. he just disappeared again. <laughs> and then it was, then yeah, then it was just gone. So we'll see it, it. Like I said, this always seems to ebb and flow how much access we get. And uh, obviously as we get closer to the season, that will surely uh, that, that faucet will get turned off most likely. Yeah. We also had coach Justin Hamilton, our defensive coordinator, go on the Sons of Saturday podcast. Another cool thing. And if nothing else, I would love to hear more from Coach Ham because I just think he's such a, an effervescent personality that, uh, that I'm, I'm grateful whenever I see that he's doing an interview or on YouTube or whatever. And I, to be perfectly honest, I have not gotten a chance to listen to that one. I, I made the, uh, the Coach Fu a primary uh, objective in terms of listening to before this podcast, but I will listen to the Coach Ham interview at some point this week, and I'm excited about listening to that one. Oh, and you, but you got to check out his, his Twitter feed. So, uh, <laughs> That's you got, true. You got, a, yeah, you got a bunch of his yeah. thoughts there. Coach Hamilton definitely, um, he got out on Twitter last week and it, I wouldn't say he was, you know, fighting with fans or going out with fans. Was it last week or the week before? I can't remember. Yeah, it, whatever. It was like recent that. and there was a little bit of a back and forth and he was not excusing anything that's happened. He said over and over again, like, we need to do better and we will do better, but he was kind of he was defending his regime and I, I you know that yeah. that's who gave him his job so i don't necessarily blame him but it was interesting to see a coach kind of uh having a back and forth with the fans yeah no i agree and i i, I didn't disagree with anything you said it was um heck i mean we complain when we don't see anything and then we complain when we right. do see some right. stuff no. so you know nobody's ever satisfied i respected his opinion and his fight it it did just catch me off guard to see, to see, like, I think I tweeted out, like, did he get in the bourbon? Because it's just, you (laughs) never see a coach, you know, be that honest and really like come out like that on social media. And like I said, it was kind of refreshing in a way. Yep, I agree. So in this episode, we're going to go through some news and notes, and then we're going to talk about the basketball team briefly, and then get into the Athlon preview. I picked up the Athlon magazine today and just talk a little bit about where they've got us and how the season might play out. But I wanted to start with the recruiting because when we recorded last time, recruiting was starting to really heat up. And as soon as we put that podcast out, I think Bryce Duke committed the running back 5'11 at Leesburg VA. That was a nice commitment. And then we got a slew of them right after that to add to the guys we had before. Daquan Wright, the tight end. Uh, Kyrie Moyston, the defensive lineman from Suffolk. Uh, Tucker Holloway, wide receiver, taller, 6'2", 6'3". Xavier Chaplin, the huge offensive tackle. He's listed at 6'6", 370. I, I, that, that's almost like too big. I, I don't even know, but you always take size and like mold that piece of clay 
uh, on the offensive line than the other way around trying to get him to put on weight. So we'll see there. But Chaplin's a big dude. And then we got Purnell, the defensive mm-hmm. line, 6'4", 250 from Highland Springs. And Highland Springs is a great place for us to get you know a pipeline back into because they are such a good football program in the state. Yeah, I saw, I actually went through, I only watched videos on kind of the top four that I that I saw come in. Um, and we haven't gotten to necessarily the, the two big ones yet, but I watched um, Purnell's film um, as a, the defensive lineman, as you said, 250 pounds. Um, I thought, you know, showed a lot of good pursuit on his plays. He kept his kind of motor churning um, constantly, always going after, but... He does not have a lot of speed right now on the edge. So uh, he has a lot of work to do uh, in, in in that regard once he gets into the program. And then Simmons, I thought he had you know good vision, uh, linebacker uh, in the gap, scooping the quarterback. Really, you know, he was filling gaps very well and looked like he could see the field really well. So I thought I thought he looked really good. Um, I mean, as, Simmons as well. is going to be a stud, I think. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I love that kid. And we talked about him a little bit last time, but definitely a huge get for this class and and at a position we could really use some some pressure on the QB from if uh we have some issues at defensive line which we'll get to in a little bit but with Purnell's size I thought it was interesting because he's 6'4 250 that's a starting DN size in college football right now so again that's someone that I would expect him to maybe lose 10 pounds at first hopefully get a little speed back and then as he grows and gets quicker um, he could get some of that edge rush and who knows at six, four, he could end up moving inside. I, you know, there, there's no way to know this early on, but I still love getting a kid from Highland Springs. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then the last two Fridays were when we brought in the big boys and that was Ramon Brown. The first one, four star running back from Midlothian. He's a nine, two, three, seven. He's the, on uh, the composite score. He's 190 in the composite, top 200 guy in the composite, just outside the 200 on 247, and he's a top 10 guy in the state. Big time get, Razor Ramon, you see you see the gifts, you see the pictures. That was awesome to bring him in. Yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, watched his film as well. Um, I thought he had a, a lot of nice moves. He's able to evade you know, tackles. Most of what I saw was evading tackles one-on-one. So it's high school. So it's a little hard to, you know, tell how much that's going to, uh, going to translate, um, uh, when he moves up, uh, when he did get one-on-one, he bulldozed some guys when it was necessary. Uh, he wasn't just evading. Um, he wasn't afraid of, afraid of contact and has some, has some real speed when he turns on, turns on the jet. So I thought that was a, uh, a very nice pickup, um, to add to, uh, the, the running back core that we, yeah. uh, that we have uh, running back. Yeah, we uh, definitely with with Duke and, and Brown coming in. Um, it's clear that Lechtenberg can recruit. Like he, he's one yeah. of our stronger recruiters because we've got a very full running back room, and we're bringing in two more guys next year. But I do think there are certain guys in that running back core, like Chance Black, for instance. Mm-hmm. He is moving at least initially to wide receiver. Yeah. So and and some of the other guys will move around too. So it's not always going to be ten or eleven guys. Um, and guys will leave. We, we yep. know that'll happen, but, uh, I do like what Lechtenberg's doing. He's going yep. out, he's finding talent. And if you look at Brown's film, it's, you know, it's somewhere between Keyshawn King and Jalen Holston. Like, I, it, like a little bit of the bulldozing, a little bit of the elusiveness, but, yep. uh, but he, he's a, he's a hell of a get. He really mm-hmm. is for this class. And, and I'm pumped about having him. And then this past Friday, we got, what a lot of people will consider to be the crown jewel of this class, regardless of who else we bring in. Gunnar Givens, great name, four-star offensive lineman from Daleville, Virginia. 9463 in the composite, number 133 nationally. And in 247, he's number 126, top five in the state of Virginia, you know, across the board, across the services. And it's great. Man's Vice, we know he can bring talented guys in. And this is arguably the most talented he's brought in. I know Nestor was really high up there, uh, maybe a little bit high, more highly rated. But in terms of what Givens can bring to this class and just bringing it some, uh, I don't know, instant credibility. I, that, yeah. I think that's really what he does. Yeah, absolutely. And watch his film as well. Um, 6'6", 275. Um, that kid loves to pancake dudes. Uh, and he was... Yeah. I felt bad almost for some of the guys that he was 
pushing over. They try to get back up. He would push him over again. Just, you know, double pancakes, uh, uh, you know, across the board. Plays way beyond the whistle uh, on a lot of plays, really just asserting himself and lots of leg drive. He, he His film looks outstanding. I think he's going to be amazing for Virginia Tech once he gets in and, and Vance Vice even improves on what he is, his raw talent is uh, coming out of school. So of the guys I named, that was eight recruits that we brought in since our last podcast. Five of them are from the state of Virginia, and the last two were composite four stars from the state of Virginia. And if you know anything about us on this podcast, you know we have complained about the lack of four stars. And so to get two in a span of eight days, uh, I, I'm impressed because yeah. honestly, this this staff has struggled so much to recruit that that's a huge week for them. Absolutely huge to get two four stars from the state. It That's exactly what we've been talking about. I mean, it, it's exactly what we wanted. So we will give credit where credit is due. Fantastic week of recruiting uh, for this staff. And uh, I congratulate them on that. Let's move on to the transfer portal. Uh, <laughs> with Virginia Tech football, it's always one step forward, one step back kind of thing. And unfortunately, right after we got the news about Ramon Brown, we got the news that Alec Bryant and Robert Wooten, two of our highly ranked D-line recruits, are entering the portal. They both tweeted out that it had nothing to do with not wanting to be at Virginia Tech. They both wanted to be here, but it was out of their hands, kind of. And it's come to light. It was related to an academic issue. And they were both potentially facing a suspension from Virginia Tech the, academically. And so they, I guess, in a way, had no choice but to either take the suspension or transfer. And so they both chose to transfer, I suppose. And they both happened to be two guys from Texas. So that obviously was talked about a lot, like the Texas 2VT being kind of a failure. Um, I think ultimately what happened was like these two guys were friends because yeah. they happen to be from Texas. And so they get to Tech and maybe even with Justin Beatles. And you'll notice that all three of those guys are now in the transfer portal, probably because they were hanging out and doing a lot of the same stuff, and now they're all gone. So I don't want to speculate too much, but I think you kind of get the idea there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it hurts. I mean, um, Bryant and Wooten, I think Wooten hurt, um, had the most playing time already of the two probably the clearest chance to, to play for us. I mean, they were the top two players in our 2020 recruiting class, um, which, which is a bit of a ding, uh, and, and hurts. Um, well, so, we've lost the top four from that class now. Yeah. And, and, that's, and if you remember that class was 76th nationally. Now it was a smaller class that, that will always be said. However, you take a class that was already our worst class in 20 years and you take the top four recruits out of it. Like, it's a devastating blow. It, it really is, particularly on the D-line to lose Bryant, Beatles, and Wooten. I mean, it is it is tough. Yeah. Um, but anyway, go on. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a tough blow. It's 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 rough. Uh, it, it stinks. Uh, you know, I wish, I wish, you know, I'm glad to hear that it didn't really, I'm not glad to hear any of it, right? I guess it's yeah. all context, that it wasn't the coaches, it wasn't, you know, the school, it wasn't any of those things. They wanted to stay. It was academics, um, but you know, we're here now. So I guess we're looking really at what Barno, Belmar, and then maybe Griffin and Garbett is probably what we've we've kind of got there. Yeah, uh, and now. Eli Adams is floating around yeah. out there, and and you've got the the incoming freshmen uh, Nelson and Cole. I, we're, yeah, I th- I'm messing that up, but whatever. Yeah. You know, you hoped Garbett after missing last year comes back and can be what we thought he was going to be like our number one defensive end. Like right. we really are hoping for that uh, alongside Amari Barno on the other side. So we we'll see, but the depth, I mean, it, it really took a blow because Wooten was going to play a lot probably. Mm-hmm. And so actually in that interview on TSL, Fu confirmed that Wilfred Penne, the tight end has moved to defensive end to, wow. to put another body over there. Yeah. And uh, maybe he won't be the last guy that does that. I don't know, but we definitely have some uh, some spots to fill for sure. Yeah, that's been a uh, it's it's just been a, a a tough position for us for a while now. I mean, if you really go back to who's really done damage to that position um, and been relatively consistent for us, or or really gotten a consistent pressure 
off the edge. I mean, you got to go back a ways. I mean, it's probably lobster the year hands. in 2016. We had Kenna Canham and Mahota on the edge, right? Yeah. I, and there might have been. I might be forgetting someone, but Woody Barron got a lot of pressure from inside that year. Yeah. Um. But uh, but I think the outside was Mahota and uh, yeah, and Canham and that group was really, from what I remember, excellent against the run. We mm-hmm. they still weren't like a tremendous tremendous pass rushing team. The pass rush came from Tremaine. Yeah. No, that's that's right. So, it's that's that's a position that we've we've got to get figured out over time. It's, it's, and maybe one of these guys will, will show it this year, but it, it's, it's been a struggle thus far. For sure. Let's move to basketball quickly. Just a, just a couple of notes here before we talk about the bigger picture with the Athlon preview. Mike Young got an extension, a three-year extension that ties him to the school through the 2026 to 2027 season. I, I mean, how could you not love this move after what he's done in just a couple of years? Uh, kept the momentum from Buzz and just, you know, built upon it, even though the roster was gutted. Uh, so I, I couldn't be happier about having Mike Young locked up. I, I, I would have to think as long as he doesn't just fall off the map, he will, you know, retire as the Virginia Tech head coach someday. Yeah, I, he, he's done an excellent job. I mean, you got to extend him. I think we extended six head coaches all at the same time, if I'm not not mistaken. I think, I think they were so. joking. I think they were joking on the cover too, that they when they saw oh six coaches getting extended and then went to the list and Fuente was not on there obviously, um, <laughs> and they were saying well that's not all that surprising, um, but an excellent move and he's been recruiting well. You know he really built the team from a shell um, when when it was gutted and um, the fans love him. He's got the right attitude. He fits the mold I think for for a Virginia Tech coach. So. Uh, very happy for him, and it looks like you know we have a lot of promise coming into the upcoming season and and well beyond that at this point. Yeah, the shocker that we got was that Tyrese Radford is in the transfer portal, and yeah. no one was expecting that. Um, everyone knows about the DUI and mm. the gun charge, and the fact that he's from Baton Rouge, and you know not not a Virginia kid, not from the area, is I guess what I'm getting at, and. He hopped in the portal, and initially, I, to me, it was like I don't get the timing on this. Something weird must have happened, or you know, someone must have offered him a starting spot at a blue blood or something. And then there were some other tweets about maybe he missed a parole hearing, and mm-hmm. that was kind of the aha moment. And then I stopped looking into it, and I yeah. just, you know, I was just bummed. And well, it stinks because well, he was I mean, he was like a fan favorite just for the he way was. he played and. You know, he he was really the heart of the team. I yeah. mean, he, he did everything, tremendous shooting percentage for a guy his size, and he was going to be a really valuable member of this team. There's, yep. uh, You can't just replace Tyrese Radford. It, it, it sucks that that he's going to be gone, but I, I suppose he couldn't keep his nose clean, even even after we, we basically gave him a second chance, and it, it sucks. Yep. Yeah, that was rough. Keeve Aluma, though, is officially back. He is not entering the draft. I think most of us assumed that, but he made it official. So I'm looking down the list of who we are bringing back. And even though we lost Radford, it's Aluma, Murphy from Wofford, Mutz, uh, Nahim Aline, Couture, Ogiaco, Maddox, David and Gassan, who Gassan, I'm expecting to have a big year. He played a lot as a true freshman last year and was skinny. With a year in the weight room, I expect Gassan to have a big year. We got the transfer Lynn kid from Clemson. We talked about him previously. Mm-hmm. And then the two incoming guys, Padula and Haynes. It's a solid team, and it might make a handful of the preseason top 25s. Uh, I think it'd be better if we had Radford, but Murphy's going to take a lot of the shots. So, like, yeah. it's – I'm not sure what to think. Um, are we better with Radford? How many wins better are we? I don't know, but uh, he's not here. So Couture's going to play more. Uh, Maddox might play a bit more, but I am excited about having Aluma, Mutz, and Gasan in the front court and maybe even Kid factoring in there a little bit. Yeah, it'll be good. And, uh, you know, it does it does stink to, to lose Radford, but we've seen Coach Mike Young do 
a lot more with a lot less talent than this team has and returning talent at that. So I have all the faith in the world that this team can still make up for the the lack of Radford and, and put together a good season coming up. And I think there's a good amount of depth there. I, I don't yeah. think we're down to, you know, where we were at some points where yeah, it was, it was kind of five, maybe six guys. I think we go deeper now. And that's nice to see. I think we got seven guys we could rely on. And then a, you, you got to get one or two guys to step up and then you have a, a reputable team there, but Aluma, <laughs> Aluma Murphy and Mutz, they're going to play a lot of minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I would, no, I would assume <laughs> the early schedule dates have come out. We have a few teams on the schedule already for next year, Navy, Memphis, Maryland, and St. Bonaventure. And that's includes the potential to play Xavier or Iowa state in the preseason NIT. And that would be after the Memphis game. So we are taking on, Landers Nolly and the Memphis Tigers, who actually won the NIT last year yeah. uh, in the preseason NIT the night before Thanksgiving. The Hokies will play Memphis. That will be interesting, to say the yeah. least. Uh, that's that's for sure. And I do really like that we get to play the uh, the Bonnies. See, yeah, that'll be a good one, too, for yeah, sure. I mean, that's, a, that's a really good team. So they And we get they, to hate-watch the Maryland game. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, and we know Maryland is loves their basketball. Uh, Dude, so. we used to have some battles. Like those those when Malcolm Delaney was on the team playing Maryland, those games were always back and forth, man. And and I remember some overtime, a brutal loss, maybe a couple good wins, but man, those that'll be fun to play Maryland again. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's take a quick beer break before we get into the Athlon preview. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am going uh, non-alcoholic tonight and uh, I brought a special one. So in my vast, vast search of good non-alcoholic beers, I finally found a hazy IPA and this is actually by Sam Adams. So it's just the haze, hazy, juicy, non-alcoholic IPA and check it out if you're into drinking a non-alcoholic beer here and there. I guarantee you if I put this in a glass next to a decent, pretty good, uh, hazy, regular beer, you would not be able to tell the difference. Wow. That's a bold statement. I I like to hear that because the one thing that you've said and a couple of my other buddies who will have them on occasion is that so few of them taste like real beer. When you find the ones that do, it really stands out. So that's really good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. It was mind-blowing. I looked it up on Untapped. It had high rankings, but nothing gets super high rankings that's non-alcoholic. And yeah. <laughs> it was hovering close to like four stars, I think, almost three, wow. seven, five, four for a non-alcoholic is kind of unheard of. And I was I was pumped, I was, but I didn't want to get too excited. So I had to find it. Uh, my beer store down the street says four or five people are drinking it. They're sold out all the time. So it's hard to get right now. I don't think Sam Adams, I think it came out maybe four or five months ago. I don't think Sam Adams realized how much demand there might have been and they can't even keep it stocked. So, um if you're if you're trying to uh cut back on on the alcohol for a bit and still like your beer, I would highly suggest checking checking this out, especially if you like hazy IPA, IPAs or want a little bit more flavor. I don't know if a non-alcoholic beer is the best example to use when talking about Sam Adams, but I do feel like in the last 2 years Sam Adams has gone from kind of an afterthought in the craft beer scene just because they were the first and we everyone knows about them and their Boston Lager is still a good beer. But there's just so many other choices. And maybe there was a thought they couldn't make a good IPA. I know we kind of both agreed on that. And then over time just was like, ah, eh, Sam Adams, you know, Oktoberfest yeah. is all right, but whatever. And I feel like they've really made a good comeback with some of their, the Sam 76 I thought was great. They've renamed that since I think it's called their wicked hazy or wicked easy. One of the two, but they make a mix pack now with the lawn chair lager and the beach session. That's both of those are pretty good porch rocker on a hot day. Tastes great. You said that tastes great. I've been impressed with the stuff they've been putting out. Yeah. And people like their traditional summer. That's what they're, that's almost oh, what they're known great. for, what they, yeah. they're known for even more than the traditional lager at this point. Uh, they've really, I think they recognized that they were getting passed by and just the traditional lager wasn't going to do it for them anymore with how much craft has continued to explode. I know the market has 
calmed down a lot in in the craft scene, but it's so huge now at this point. And I think they finally realized they needed to get out there and start doing something different. And at least in the non-alcoholic, they destroyed everybody. I think they won a ton of awards with this thing. So I think that market, I've read somewhere that the non-alcoholic, probably because everybody drank themselves to near death during COVID, the non-alcoholic market is expected to do, remember when craft was growing at like 20% a year or whatever outrageous numbers, the non-alcoholic beer and alcohol scene is expected to grow at that pace uh, now. So it's almost overtaken that kind of trend line that Mm -hmm. just craft beer was doing for, uh, for a while. So um, hopefully there's more that gets put out there because it's, it's nice to give yourself a break every once in a while. Absolutely. I think if I had to rank my Sam Adams, you were dead on like summer's number one, uh, the Sam 76, which is now, I believe it's wicked easy. Yeah. Number two. And then Oktoberfest would be number three. And then, you know, yeah, I haven't had their, the, a lot of people have talked about their wicked hazy. I think it is. Is there yes, other beer? I yes. It's a little that. bit more strong. Yeah. I haven't had that, but, uh, I've heard good things. How about you? I am drinking the Wanderer by Treehouse Brewing. When I went up to Maine uh, two weeks ago, I was able to stop at Maine Brewing Company, and I was able to stop at Treehouse on the way back. If you're not familiar with Treehouse, Robbie had it on the podcast a couple years ago, but it's about 50 miles outside Boston, maybe 30 miles, something like that. Yep. It's it is Disneyland of breweries. First of all, the the parking lot is like the mall, like it's the most <laughs> giant parking lot. And when I showed up there, it was on a Sunday um, at like two o'clock. I parked in the very back, like the place was completely packed. People, I swear, every guy coming out had a hand truck full of beer because <laughs> they know that it's good beer. They call up all their buddies and they're buying for everyone whoever goes there. And it was it was crazy the amount of beer that was coming out of that place. the The line to get a draft beer was was wild. All I wanted to do we had a long drive back to Jersey, so all I wanted to do was pick up some cans. The, the great ordering system. The place was they they just know what they're doing. They're printing money at that place. So I get a bunch of beers. I probably got ten of their different beers. Some some for a couple buddies of mine, uh, but nothing crazy. I I tweeted it all out. If you follow us, you saw it. But this Wanderer is a Hellas. And I'm a big fan of Hellas Lagers, uh, just a bright, uh, clear golden ale that tastes incredible. And it's just easy drinking. They call it an unfiltered Hellas, but like it's not like there's anything floating in it. It's still, you know, you can see right through the glass. But anything from Treehouse, you know it's going to be good. I think Robbie had the Julius and maybe the Green on the podcast. Yeah, I've had uh, two. And I think I had a couple others uh, maybe a year, year or two later after that. Um, it's tough to get and they still don't distribute. They've, they've yeah. stuck to that. Um, you gotta so go, you, you gotta go there. And you know, it, it used to be the Treehouse brewery was like in the middle of wood, the woods, like their original brewery. And it was just a bunch of beer nerds in like a 200 person line sitting in the middle of the woods, <laughs> like to go in and get, and they would sell out every single day and then, you know, flip the sign. And it was like, you know, everybody go home and a bunch of disappointed beer nerds would turn around and walk home and with their heads down pulling a, you know, Charlie Brown move. And then I think the state came in and actually helped and gave them a, like a big funding to build that huge brewery that they have now. So part of that was state funded because it became so well known as, you know, the top brewery in the United States that they, um, they actually helped them out and building that out. So I have not been there. I, I'm hoping to make it sometime. Yeah, it was very cool and a very smooth running operation for the most part. Like while you're standing in line to get your cans, you're ordering online and the website runs perfectly. You go up, you're like, this is my order. They give you a ticket. Five minutes later, they call you out. And I I just can't even imagine how many pallets of beer they must have because of the amount of people and the amount of beer being sold. Like, And they did not run out. You know, and I was there kind of by the time we left, it was getting kind of closer to closing time. And they're just like still just like pumping cans and cans of beer out. So they, they are ready for lots and lots of visitors all summer long. If you happen to get a chance, I would definitely recommend hitting up Treehouse. And and Maine Beer Company was really cool, too. I know that's very well respected. The lunch everyone knows about. Yeah. It's always on tap at Arash's place. And then uh, they, they also have the dinner as well. Several other yes. IPAs that I bought by the bottle. And at Maine, they only sell the 16.9, you know, big bottles. That's the only way you can't buy like a six. You're just buying each one individually. Uh, but they're, they're 
well priced. It's it's not it's not too crazy. And I bought like eight to ten bottles of that too. So came home with a lot of beer. What's the yeah. point? <laughs> and the lunch and the dinner you can actually get uh, places. They have it on draft and down here they have it in a near place near me. But it's uh, always better going to the brewery and, and getting it fresh. For sure. All right, let's hop into this Athlon preview. We're not going to spend too much time on this, but I did think there were some cool notes in here. Uh, VT, first of all, came in at number 40 in their rankings for 2021. And that's that's always kind of a fun thing to look at. You look at the Phil Steel, you look at Athlon, you look at the preseason polls, you want to know where you're coming in at. And Athlon, over the last 20 years, has been the most accurate publication. So when they say we're going to be 40, um, there's that holds a little bit more weight than some other publications. One spot behind Liberty, I might note there. <laughs> Liberty oh, came in at number thirty-nine. <laughs> that's a kick in the kick in the groin right there. <laughs> it sure is. We are projected to finish third in the coastal. UNC and Miami going one-two respectively, and our record predicted record was eight and four and five and three. So Robbie, that eight and four overall, with you know it's it's Richmond and West Virginia and Notre Dame and Middle Tennessee State out of conference. Does that seem high to you, low to you, or does that seem what you like about right for the season, eight and four? I always look at the seven and fives and the eight and fours as when the preview magazines, they're like, yeah, we don't know. We have no clue. <laughs> you know, and I know it's easy to say given that record, but a six and six team, I feel like the magazines are like, yeah, this could, this could be bad. Like these, this team, but like the seven and five is, yeah, like maybe some guys will show up and kick it up to eight wins and there's no chance of getting to 10 and hopefully you're not you're not feeding anywhere in the five win uh, realm. So I would have thought that with what we have going on just in the program in front of Fuente's tenure and I'll make this it's not related directly. Dennis Dodd, who does his annual hot seat rankings, um, came out. And has Fuente at number two on the list. He ranks in the nation. In the nation. So it goes five, four, three, two, one. And he has a five by his name, which basically means win or you're gone. Um, Scott Frost is number one. And uh, Randy Etzel at UConn is number <laughs> three. And then Herm Edwards is number four. And Herm Edwards is kind of a zero or a one because it's. I mean, that's either, related to the scandal. It's, it's a scandal. So he's either getting fired. Or he's, or they're going to have a good season because they have a really good team and they've been obviously recruiting well because of that. So, um, you know, I, I, when I thought about where Fuente is in the, you know, the life cycle of the program, I would have expected them to have us at, at probably seven and five. So I think it's a, a notch higher than I probably would have expected. And when I, when I saw the rankings come out from, from them. Well, when you look at these records too from the preseason magazines, I think it, it's almost it would almost benefit them if they could give each one with a tolerance, you know, like eight and four plus or minus one or plus yeah. or minus two, depending on the variability of that team. And for this team, I mean, I think it's a it's a plus or minus two, something something like that. Uh, but like it because there's only twelve games in the regular season. The it, it can only skew so much to the upside, whereas the minus I think could skew much larger if things come off the rails or we take on injuries, and so eight and four to me seems high just based on the unknown of what could happen prior to the season. For example, two of your defensive ends get dismissed in in July, you know, right. like that, or enter the transfer portal, I should say. It, if I was going to do it the way I like the way that you're thinking about it, you know, I would do eight and eight and four probably plus one minus two you follow me so upside to one and then a downside to two somewhere like that uh where it's not just equal on either side and i think a lot of it comes back to i don't think anybody knows what we're getting at quarterback this this season so it's it's so far in the rearview mirror people had transitioned so far over to hooker and now I can just imagine people trying to go back and look at film and figure out what what's going to be happening under center this season. And I think that variable just has people a little bit confused as to what they're going to see, you know, on, yeah. the, on the field this season to 
both the positive or, or potentially the negative. And in the Athlon, they rate all of the position groups for each team in the conference. And when they did our quarterback room, they put our quarterback room at number 12 out of 14. So that means, and, and they know that the depth obviously factors in and they know we lost QP and Hendon. So that is bringing it down. I don't think they necessarily believe that Burmeister is the 12th best quarterback in the right. league, but it doesn't bode well. <laughs> that yeah. is not good to be 12 out of 14 at the quarterback position. I mean, how many players are, I would have to go back and think about this more. So it's more of an open-ended question. How many players are going first snap all the way through the season and not having a game off, two games off, half of a game? Even, Very even few if you get at dinged, the quarterback even, position. Even if you get dinged. So, you know, in all fairness, that depth has to matter unless you're going to have one of those seasons. And it happens, but it's not often that somebody just goes start to finish uh, through the season and... Um, you know, doesn't run into it. And I'm not taking it into account when you're pulling people during garbage time and things like that. I'm talking right, about right, actual right. time that you need your quarter, your starting quarterback on the field. Yeah. I mean, they had UNC at number one. Clearly that's Sam Howell, Clemson and DJ UK Lele at number two. <laughs> uh, I think it was Miami and De'Ara King, if he's healthy, number three, and then Boston College and Jerkovich at number four. So, right. yeah, there, there's some there's some decent quarterbacks in the league. After that, I I really think it's a who the hell knows. Like yep. Burmeister could be the fifth best quarterback in the league, like easily yeah. fourth or fifth. But uh, but we'll just have to see, and he has to stay healthy. Yeah, that's right. And it's a little counterintuitive when you get to <laughs> when you get to the next or one of the next uh, rankings on there, which is the wide receiving position and what they ranked us there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The variance that is the unit rankings across who's choosing them. For instance, Athlon put us at seven at wide receiver slash tight end. David Hale put us at one. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I I mean, uh, I don't necessarily think we're seven, but I definitely don't think we're one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, if we are number one, it would be impressive to have the 12th ranked QB room, but the number one ranked uh, wide receiver core. (laughs) Because uh, last I checked, um, the only way that you those guys, them? unless we're running fly sweeps uh, on every play, then they uh, those things sort of work in lockstep. Yes, that's true. You would think that if you had the number one receiving core, your, your QB uh, ranking would be dragged up just, just a little bit. <laughs> in terms of the overall rankings, I said we were 40, but UNC is number 10 in Athlon's preview, which is pretty darn high. And I, I kind of think it's a, a little bit overzealous. Notre Dame, number 12, they're replacing a lot, but it's still at number 12. Miami at 14. West Virginia, our opponent uh, that will go to Morgantown and play, number 33. Pitt, 41. BC, 42. And UVA, 59. After that, you know, it doesn't really matter. But I, I noted that three teams that we play are top 15 teams in UNC, Notre Dame, and Miami. So yeah. that that's a little bit of a stiff test. And half of the schedule is in the top 50. So we we definitely have our work cut out for us. This isn't... When we played that 2019 schedule and we went on that run and we almost beat Notre Dame and blah, 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 that was a extremely easy schedule. If we want to put a run like that together or if we want to put an eight-win season like we did that year together again... You can't have the fall off a cliff and lose to Duke badly at home. We can't have that this year because the schedule will not allow it. We played two FCS teams that year. That's not happening this year. Even Middle Tennessee State's bringing back a lot of production. There, there's, there's, uh, there's a chance that that we could fall below that eight win mark if we're not on our p's and q's from day one. And and we know UNC is coming on September third. Yeah, that's right. And I mean. When you look at the schedule, when you say top 15 teams, so when we play UNC, that's the first game of the season. So they're going to be in the same spot. So that's going to be against top 15 team. West Virginia, we're playing third. I don't know who they have week one and week two, but likely they have a couple cupcakes. So most likely they'll still be ranked. They may be top 30 by that point. Yeah, I mean, this is the Athlon ranking, but they're going to correlate to S&P. Right, so, or yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, yeah, sorry, the... Um... <laughs> 
Yeah. The AP. <laughs> yeah. And then Notre Dame is our fifth game. So it's likely that they're still a top matchup. So the only, the only team that has a lot of room to potentially fall from that is Miami. Cause that's our second to last game. So uh, that it, it's going to be some, some big time matchups, even if it's just the numbers by the name, by the team. For sure. The good news is Syracuse, who was our other crossover game from the Atlantic, they're projected by Athlon to finish last. So, yes. so that's a good thing. Yeah. Syracuse. Uh, not that is, Syracuse doesn't give us trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm almost worried about that because most people think Syracuse is going to be abysmal, which just sets up for another fun Syracuse game where always, um, you know, they can have locker room chants that get played over and over again. But it's not at the dome. So that is, <laughs> yes. that is important. Um, actually, that game's October 23rd, and I might try and go to that one. It's one of the dates. I can't go to Notre Dame. I got a wedding. I can't go to uh, Middle Tennessee State now. I have a, an engagement, but uh, but I might be able to swing. I want to get down there because I haven't been to Blacksburg in, in two years, I don't think. So I, I got to get down there. Yeah, I'm going to Notre Dame, and I was actually going to bend your ear about UNC, but uh, I'm thinking about that. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that. The other thing I love about Athlon is they do the what other coaches say about your program. Yeah. It's something that Godfrey writes for them. You, I think you said he writes pretty much all of them for them. The, the vast majority of them he does the interviews for. Some other people do because it would just be way too many. They do it on so many programs, but he, he does all of the big ones, um, and he writes them, and then they send it into – Athlon, Athlon, and I went through, I listened to Godfrey talk about it, and then I listened to the cover too, and they talked about it with Braden. Um, and then they go through and they cull down all of it from like the raw meat with stuff in there that, you know, is pretty harsh and also stuff that would give away who said that stuff. So they sanitize it a bit. They don't take away from the content, but they sanitize certain things that get said. So you couldn't be like, you know, that's so and so. Figure out who it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, let me just read an excerpt from it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I think our our listeners might find some of this interesting. Uh, Depth is a major issue for them. That's obviously referring to Virginia Tech. You cannot survive on the portal. You have to sign and develop players. Their reliance on transfers is a big warning sign. I don't think that they have the same presence in Virginia and the DMV they had even when things slid off in Frank Beamer's last years. It'll be interesting to see the offense, interesting to see how much they can get out of their quarterback. It's really never been anything like what he promised, he being Fuente. The Big 12 stuff since he got to tw- since he got to Tech. Schematically, the defense is a mess. They're trying to marry multiple schemes. You can see some of Bud Foster's stuff, then other stuff, then back to Bud. It looks like the absence of a decision, honestly. Bud would sell out and get you. You couldn't run because the box was stuffed and he'd dare you to beat his back-end guys. Now it's just a jumbled mess. They need a breakout offensive campaign to keep this thing going. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's hurtful. <laughs> that's intense. Um, yeah. And not all that. It's pretty spot on. Quite not. It's obvious. Yeah. These guys know the programs in and out. They play against them. They scheme against them. They watch film they, on the offense. I think that's all true. It would. It hasn't been what it was promised. In fact, it's it's deviated quite a bit and year by year. I think we all know that. We know about the recruiting. You can't live off the transfer portal. Um, people are starting to have to a little bit. Miami's done a good job of bringing people in through the transfer portal, but it's not ideal and it's usually a sign of something in the program that's you know not allowing you to, to recruit and bring people in and, and develop and keep them. And then on the defense, that's probably as harsh as that is, not surprising whatsoever. No. I, you have a young... Justin Hamilton, he's trying to incorporate what he knows and what he learned with some more some schematic stuff. He said he wanted to bring in his own twist to it, and it wasn't going to look exactly like Bud Foster's. And he's just green at that position. It's it's not surprising whatsoever what coaches are seeing out there because you know you, you either have to play exactly the playbook that Bud did, and you're not going to be able to do it as well. I mean, you're just not. Yeah, you can play Beethoven very well, but you're not going to be Beethoven, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's not gonna it's not gonna sound as good, not gonna look as good, in in that defensive scheme. 
So if you're going to marry that in with your own twist, that takes a while to get your own, what your vision is and what your style is and what you want to do. And he's, he's just early and that's, so it's not all that surprising. And I'd hate the COVID excuse. However, with regard to Jayham and the defense, like is 100% valid. You're trying to install a defense. We knew early in the season, we lost like six safeties, including Devin Hunter, which wasn't related to COVID, but he just was off the team. And I can't imagine how he was trying to install some of his own stuff. And so it probably was mostly Bud and a little bit of something else. And on Fuente's interview on TSL, he said like, yeah, they read him some of this. And and he said, yeah, that's pretty much spot on. Like We were, yeah. we were you know, not, we didn't have a clue what we were doing at times. We were trying to marry too many things, trying to figure things out with, with our guys not having been installed in the defense properly. And so this will be a lot more indicative of what we can expect from J-Ham. The 2021 season will show us a lot more of what to expect and I, I he's got a lot of good coaches behind him too that will yeah. help him a lot but uh but yeah he's he's got to show sometimes in some ways he's got to show more than Fuente's got to show this year yeah. because it is like hey there's no more excuse you had spring you'll have fall like show us what you can do on the defense can you not be bud but can you this is the identity of Virginia Tech special teams and defense and it's a lot to live up to and you need to show us something yeah, and not to put any more stress on the situation, but depending on how this season goes and what the future is for Fuente, if he wants a shot at sticking around Virginia Tech, if we end up having a new coach come in, it's he's got to show something now. Or if or like, at a new school, you know, yeah. like if 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 it's not at Tech and it's somewhere else, like yeah, he's he's got to have a lights out year because we know, like they said in this, like they need a breakout offensive campaign to keep this thing going. I think, (laughs) I think we're all pretty well aware. It's not going to be a breakout offensive campaign. Like I, I I feel pretty confident that the defense will be better than the offense in 2021. How do you feel? I agree. It, It is hard to discern it just because last year was such a jumbled mess on the field, but it can't get worse. I mean, we lost players. The The roster was in flux. It, it was nothing set up. COVID, nothing set up well for him to have a successful no. uh, season. So it's unfair for him to be in that position. Granted, he, he got a nice move up, and that's great for his resume, and it's going to be great for his future, regardless of how things play out. It sucks because he got put in one of those tough situations. It's This is how I always like to think about it. If you look at Bud versus Beamer, and replacing those two Beamer is an absolute legend. Right. And, but in terms of on field coaching and scheme and, and being one of those names that will be iconic for being a coach in whatever position, defensive coordinator, head coach, Bud is, has more bigger shoes to fill than Beamer. Yeah. Not take the just off- simply because of the X's and O's factor. Right. And, and it's not, I'm not taking anything away from Beamer, and neither are you. Right. Uh, but head coach, it's just a totally different managerial position that you're in. You're a CEO, you're, you have to manage personalities and both sides of the ball and special teams and all this stuff. And tactically, what Bud was able to do was far more advanced than anything Beamer could do from that perspective. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was getting at. You put it better is those, those were huge shoes to fill that are, are iconic and will be for a long time. When people talk about great defensive coordinators of all time, Bud's going to be in the top five every, Mm -hmm. every time. So those are huge. If, If you went through who are the top five head coaches of all time, Beamer's not making that list. So nothing against Frank Beamer. He's just, he's just not making that list. So and in some ways, Justin Hamilton had had a tougher role to fill, not the off the field, not the likability, mm-hmm. not the presence that is Beamer and Beamer ball, all those things. But schematically, he absolutely had bigger shoes to fill. And that's tough. Yeah, extremely tough. And he was, let's face it, extremely inexperienced. He's just not a very old guy and he hadn't coached at big name universities yet. He had played at them. Uh, he played it. He played at Tech and maybe sniffed the NFL here and there. But like, 
yeah, he had huge shoes to fill, not a lot of experience and uh, learning on the job. And so this is a, this is a show me year for him. It's a show me year for Fuente. And uh, as you're indicating, maybe less of a show me for Jay Ham because he's going to land on his feet no matter what happens this year. He will land on his feet. I'm hoping that the defense has a lights out year and so are you mm-hmm. because they're going to have to help carry this team. That's yep. That's really the long and the short of it. Yeah, I agree. I think our back end will be good, and that came up in in the rankings. If you had to pick, you know, which position of all of our positions had the highest rating from Athlon, um, what would you have said off the top of your head? I probably would have said what they would have ranked it. Yeah. I'm guessing they would have put linebacker. Linebacker was tied with DB as the uh, the best position in, in terms of against the ACC. I think we were fifth at both of those in the conference. Yeah, that's right. Fifth at both of those. Sixth at defensive line. They were, they were bullish on our defensive line. Seventh at offensive line and seventh at wide receiver slash tight end. Running back was 10th, which I, I actually think running back's a little low because I yeah. think Blackshear and Holston and King, uh, among others, Marco Lee, uh, I, I think that will – proved to be a pretty good unit in the ACC, but they liked our DBs and they liked our linebackers. Yeah. If, if nothing else, the, the offensive line, the, they should be, Vince Weiss doesn't get enough credit, um, honestly. And I think that uh, the offensive lines that he's been able to churn out really helped the, the running backs out a lot. So I think that should obviously, if you're if I was going into those rankings and knowing Virginia Tech as well as we all do, I would give them the running backs kind of up a point up, if you know what I mean, just yeah. off the yep. start, yeah, just knowing that the offensive line is going to be at worst. That's, that's a great point. That's a great yeah. point. And I, I'm, I'm so curious to figure out what happens with Brock and Johnny Jordan and uh Lacid, Well, not Lasidus, but uh Silas, Silas uh, Jansi, because Fuente spoke highly of Jansi. He spoke highly of Tyrell Smith coming back for his hundredth uh, year in the program. <laughs> and so, and he even like with regard to Tyrell, he said he could maybe get the nod to start wow. at right tackle. So I, we'll see. But, um, but that, that offensive line group has some really good guys. And if, if Jordan can get in the mix at center or guard or Brock play center or guard, I don't care, but Jansy's going to be in there. You obviously got Smith and Tenuta, like they're going to be starters. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about that group. And you're absolutely right. You have to boost Jalen Holston up just one notch and Raheem Blackshear up one notch because of that right there. Mm-hmm. We did have a question from, from Basil and I put it off a couple times and I didn't mean to Basil, but he did ask us about uh, Fuente on the transfer portal. At some point, Fuente said, "You're in. If you're in there, he doesn't want you on the team anymore." But there were several examples of when there was a reversal. What's the status of someone like Evan Fares who doesn't find a new home? Uh, is there an internal advocacy on the part of the coaching team to negotiate for players to come back to the team, especially to fill current gaps? Uh, and I, I think that was an interesting question, and that comment about the transfer portal a couple years well several months ago uh when fuente said hey if you're in there we don't want you back i think it was specifically regarding the guys who had gotten it at that point saying like it was it was taken out of context because i think what he was saying was like i talked it with, about it with those guys they will not be back if they're in there yeah, and I I don't think it was a a hard and fast because we saw it with Hendon Hooker like he he came back to the team after being and McLeese too. Yeah, also it was early on. Nobody nobody at the time expected the explosion or kind of forecasted how dramatic the transport transfer portal was going to grow, mm-hmm. and the, just the number of people that they're saying are not going to find landing spots now and are going to have to go and drop down to not even D2, but even D3, if they just want to play football. They won't even have a scholarship. That's just if they mm-hmm. want to play football. The The numbers are crazy how many people. It's, I forget how many. It was, it was like 500 or 600 people that they think are not going to have a landing spot. I don't think anybody knew it was going to blow up that big. So you're kind of asking... You're, you're asking a question or you're getting a response from a coach before the landscape is set. 
before you you see it's years ahead of what we are experiencing today which it's almost common practice and so much so that the NCA finally gave in and everybody gets their one free transfer now that's yep. how open it is so that was a couple of years ago people are allowed to change their opinion i go back to the the dabo quote where he said if players get paid then i'm quitting college football right and, <laughs> and everybody wanted to latch on to that and first of all they're not getting paid they're getting they're getting sponsored by outside entities but whatever they're not being paid by the school yes yeah, correct people are allowed to change their opinion especially you know if you went back to the scholarship limit when it got reduced down twice even you asked any of those coaches go ask nebraska and say what's going to happen when you lower the scholarship and nobody's going to have a good quote that you can like go back to two years later or three years later and and not look at and a little bit sideways so it's hard when there's these changes you're asking somebody to almost be a fortune teller of what the landscape's going to look like and some people just respond to what they're seeing today and if i was a coach and i had a decent roster and somebody wanted to leave and they had good reason to leave i'd question whether i want them back on the team too do they really want to be there do they is there is there something that is in the program that doesn't fit their mold for their benefit and for my benefit both and goes both ways so i don't I don't I would allow them to come back to the team, but it would take a little bit of convincing. They'd be sitting in my office for a half hour and they would have to give me a good speech just like at work. When you have to give a good speech and you screw something up, then you gotta you gotta make amends. That's right. I would still ask that that question. I don't think it's it, I don't think it I think that was taken and uh and people ran with it a little bit too hard. Yeah, and as time changes, your perception changes and your take has to change. And, and that's exactly what you're saying. And I I still think the initial time Fuente said that, if you listen to the actual quote, like it wasn't like that. It was more of a, this is, you take it on a case-by-case basis. In this case, they will not be coming back. That's right. essentially how I took it. And, um, and it, I think that's how it's going to be treated from here on out. It's a case-by-case. If you get in the portal, you can come back. If you want to be at Tech and you prove that you want to be at Tech and you're going to be a good team player, I'm sure he would accept you with open arms. And it was interesting. The last thing I'll say about that TSL podcast was that Fuente said, when we talk to these recruits now, we tell them, you're going to be a free agent. As soon as you get to our school, you got a free pass to go anywhere. You know, know, the signing thing doesn't really mean anything anymore. You got a free trip anywhere you want if you want to leave. So are you like... Are you committed to tech to stay here? Because I don't want to find out in a year that you're going to want to transfer. And so it's a whole different level of recruiting and sussing out loyalty and all that kind of thing. And and I don't envy the position. I don't. Uh, but we absolutely need to get better at a school at, at retaining these guys for sure. Yep, I agree. All right, that's going to do it. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT. 2dvt at gmail.com and then make sure to subscribe on apple podcast spotify write us a review on apple if you can we've we've got a lot of reviews in fact we've got almost as many reviews as tsl does with a what i could only imagine a lot less exposure so i really appreciate all of our listeners out there who who write us reviews it's it's very much appreciated um and until next time which robbie next time when we talk i want to do bold predictions it won't necessarily be our uh, season preview we'll probably do that later in august but earlier in august i want to do bold predictions for the 2021 season like you know raheem blackshear is going to go for a thousand yards uh, you know Jaden payout is going to be our leading receiver like i want to hear some bold predictions come up with five of them for me and we'll talk about them on the next podcast. i like that i'm also hoping we get some I'm hearing all these other schools. I want some NIL news, Virginia Tech. <laughs> I want some sponsorships. I want some good meat, and I want funny ones, like good. I, if somebody doesn't get sponsored, you want someone like like a, I want, and I don't want to go Georgia Tech on us, but I want some Waffle House. I want some Bojangles cookout. We cookout. need a cookout sponsorship. Yes, I, I want some players to get 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 on a cookout billboard, please, because I I want that in my veins. And if you're still listening to the podcast, we want you to come to us with the player that this podcast should sponsor 
or should get to talk about or tweet about us. So you get what I'm saying. Which pair player should we pay to talk about the 2D podcast? We want to hear from you guys because back in the day, it probably would have been Coleman Fox. Yes, absolutely <laughs> would have been. Or Sam Rogers or somebody like that. But now I, I'm, you know, I'm curious as to what our listeners would think of who they would want, you know, uh, like which player they'd want to talk about the 2D podcast and, you know, give us a tweet and that kind of thing. Yeah, I I also think we might have gone like punter back in the day. And that might have been a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. That'll do it. And until next time when we're uh, giving you some bold predictions, go hokies. Go hokies.